I'm Bryce Futch. And I'm Tony Melton. And this is The Way Forward. Welcome to episode 10, the final episode of this first season of the Way Forward podcast. We are super thankful for uh, you staying with us and uh, learning with us as we talk to some incredible folks that know a whole lot more than we do about the issues facing us today right now with China. Uh, I want to start by asking Father Tony kind of what his thoughts are on this season. When we first started, he had, he had mentioned to me, when I approached him about being the co-host, he had mentioned, he's like, ah, I don't know anything about China. This isn't something that I've thought about, that I've been engaged on. Uh, but I, I really appreciate the way he thinks. I appreciate the way he reasons. And so uh, I also, the, the goal of this podcast is to talk about these ideas with people who don't have a history of international relations. And you haven't been studying this because we, we want to make it understandable. We want to make it applicable to you. So, uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about kind of how this, I, I mean, what are some takeaways that you've had from this season? What are some things that you've learned, some things you've enjoyed? What are your thoughts? Your question makes me think back to when I was, I think, in high school. And um, I can't exactly remember how old I was, but, you know, we had the, the thing with Iraq and Saddam Hussein and, you know, there was there was accusation of, of real human rights violations, but then, you know, when I was in college, it was like, oh, we just, it was all about the oil. Yeah. And it left me kind of in the same state of confusion that I feel like a lot of people, myself included, have about China. Mm-hmm. You know, China is this economic superpower, mm-hmm. and um, so is America. And I've always heard that people could be really... Uh, upset about China or really call him a bad actor and we should be yeah. really really against China. This is a really big theme in the in the Trump uh, campaign yeah. in 2020. And then others, not to say that they were lauding China as a, as a great nation, but they just didn't seem to be as concerned and you know, dude, oh, chill come out. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of came into this season uninformed. And therefore, uh, didn't have real reasons for being um, where I am now, mm-hmm. which is a, a lot more uh, not anti-China. Uh, sure. I, I see them as as a as a bad actor, mm-hmm. um, and I'm aware of the things that they're doing that have hackled up yeah. some of the people that I know that have been, uh, you know, quite angry at China mm-hmm. and. and and for us taking a, a, an aggressive approach towards them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I can say anti-China. Sure. Yeah. yeah, maybe that would be not too far. So I, I feel like this season we've progressively gone through all of the different ways that China is, uh, is, uh, is acting uh, in ways that do not benefit the world. Mm-hmm. Not just our country, but do not benefit the world. Um, they're playing out a worldview which is uh, just toxic mm-hmm. to their soul and the soul of the of the whole world. Uh, so it has been very informative to me. We're always talking about China. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things too, where like China's been a problem for a while. Yeah. Like it, it's it's not like this is just all of a sudden in the last five years. Right. They've been an issue for a long time, but the things that they're doing are are but they're not adding up. They're multiplying. Right. Like it, it gets progressively worse. You know, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't 1.8 million Uyghurs in concentration camps. Right. Right. Like it's a it, it's been building on itself. And we're getting to this point where 
I wouldn't say it's a now or never because I don't that's that's necessarily true. But I think it's a. I think if we wait much longer, it's going to be much harder to engage them. Yes, yeah. that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> it's yeah, productively. Much harder. yeah it, it's right. it is. It's it's going to take a while. Yeah, so I think you know from what I understand, Bryce, you we were going to go just quickly back through yeah. the main headings of this season. Right. Um, the name of this podcast is the way forward, and yeah. so we wanted to end it on a note of where have we gone and yeah. wh- what way forward do those things uh, you know point us towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is the way forward <laughs> sure. for, um, you know, in, uh, what, let's just take the first one, uh, intellectual property. Yeah. We had an episode about, um, protections. Mm-hmm. We, we even addressed it kind of like a, a human, uh, a, ph- a philosophy of human nature and dignity, yeah. uh, element, but like, what's our way forward, both on a national level, mm-hmm. but also at a local level. Uh, sure. What are your what were your takeaways? Yeah, so I think the, the two biggest things are it's banning, and, I, and as a conservative, I hate to use these words, but it's banning government protections for small business. Uh, anytime the government gets into any, puts their hands in anything, it gets progressively worse, in my opinion. But there are certain roles that only the state can fulfill, right? And so for a local mom and pop or a startup entrepreneur that's, that's doing something tech-wise that China wants to get their hands on and copy or steal... Like we talked about in that episode, those businesses don't have the capital to create these cyber defenses that they need. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but there needs to be increased cyber protections for these local companies that's either subsidized by the government, funded by the government, or, or run. Uh, and like I said, I, I hate to say I hate to say that as a conservative, I, I really do. Um, yeah, but you, you, but you I don't you know. Redeemed it. You yeah, big government, but for small business. Yes, you know, <laughs> right. I feel like that cancels out the. Yes, so I think there needs to be some protections on the government. I don't. I don't think they need to know everything that's going on, but I, I don't think that they're. I, in order for it to be cost effective, I, I don't think that it's something that would come from individuals. I think it would be something that would be much broader. Okay. Um, yeah, and I also think buying local is really important. So Amazon is one of those uh, users we talked about where. The uh, folks in China will will steal these products, they'll copy them, and then they'll sell them on Amazon. Um, if you, I, I use Amazon all the time. I have nothing against them as a company. I think they provide a great service. But if you are buying from Amazon, look at who the sellers are. Are they a company in your state? Are they a company in the United States? Or like, there's information on them as as individuals or as entities. Look at that information before you buy. Figure out what kind of company they are. Where are they at? Where are they from? Uh, are they selling legitimate goods? That's that's a big question to ask. Takes a little more time, but it, it will make a difference. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're saying you know press put the onus more local mm-hmm. uh, on on uh, on these uh, on insisting upon human rights or intellectual property. I mean, yeah. I know you mentioned uh, Rubio's bill. Yes. Um, about uh, putting the onus on, not on the, the buyer, but on the on provider, seller. the yeah. seller. Um, and so, but, but, but that kind of is running in the same vein of what you just mentioned. It's right. taking, it, it's basically taking a, uh, it's turning us, taking us away from a finger wagger, like, hey, you guys over there in China, you guys yeah. better get your act together or else. Right. And it's saying that, hey, if you want to sell to citizens in America, yeah. you better make sure that this property is uh, legitimate, that, that right. this product is legitimate, both yep. in terms of its intellectual property, 
uh, yes. how, how it came to be, but also in terms of its labor and human mm-hmm. rights. But you're also saying to press it even more local. This is yeah. something that really should be owned by each of Yeah, it should. So Rubio's bill would require the companies look at their supply chain and make sure that there is no forced labor being used to create their product in China. Uh, And that would go a long way to de-incentivizing the Chinese government from creating these concentration camps, right? So the reason they have these camps is, is, is there's a multitude of reasons, one of which is that they think the way these people think is bad and wrong, and they want to change that. They want to get rid of their culture. They want to get rid of their background, their identity as people, and make them members of the state. But they also use it for economic gains because they can take these people, require them to work, force them into creating these products, and then sell them very cheaply and make money off of it. So it's one of the ways to de-incentivize that process. Right. Um, the other thing that, that I think is really important here is the way we tax goods. So there's this thing called the fair tax. In, in 2016, 2015, 2016, I had the privilege of working for Mike Huckabee's presidential campaign as a South Carolina field director. And it was a, it was a job that I was uh, wholly unqualified for and kind of fell into. Uh, but I was blessed to have a, a really great boss who knew her stuff uh, and has gone on to do some really incredible things. And she, she took me under her wing. But all that to say, Governor Huckabee was was big on the fair tax, and so the fair tax is a national sales tax. Uh, it is not a uh, a value added tax. It's not a, a VAT tax, uh, but it, it taxes the 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 current proposal is is at twelve percent. So twelve percent sales tax across the board on all new items. So if you buy something used, you buy used clothes from Goodwill, you buy a used car, you buy a house, there would be no tax on that item. Which would be huge. So if you wanted to give a, a, a working mom of two a, a pay raise, don't look at increasing the minimum wage to keep her, let her keep her entire paycheck, right? So there would be no federal sales tax, or there'd be no federal income tax. There would be no see, so social security tax. Purchases, Correct. not income. Right. So you, you tax for what you spend, not what you make. Um, and what the reason why it would work so well is there's a lot of people that currently avoid paying income taxes for a variety of reasons. Federal income taxes doesn't do anything to, 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 to affect state taxes. Uh, but if you think about the people that are dealing drugs, prostitutes, you know, bad actors, illegal immigrants that aren't paying taxes, they would be forced to pay when they whenever they bought a new item or good. So it'd be yeah, I can see. Okay. So the reason why that's beneficial for us with China is if you look at if, if you take the chairs we're sitting in, they're they're exactly the same. And if your chair was produced in the United States and my chair was produced in China, your chair, roughly 12% of the cost of that chair is tied up in taxes. So if we get rid of those taxes on those businesses, so they're not having to pay that social security tax, et cetera, they would uh, be able to sell that that chair for 12% less. And you would say, so, but then the argument comes back of, well, why would they sell it for less if they could just make 12% more profit? Well, it's because they would be able to compete with Chinese goods. So the, the chair that comes in from China is roughly 12% less because of the way that it, the cost breakdown is, is set up. So the amount of money they're paying to produce it, the amount of money they're paying for the, for the materials to produce it is less because China subsidizes those industries or their, their pay is just less overall. So there's roughly a 12% price difference between the two goods. So if you implemented the fair tax, those goods would now be roughly the same price. And people would be able to make, people who make less money would be able to make a better buying decision and could afford to pay for things made in the United States, made, made locally. So our current tax structure only affects those that live within the United States. Correct. And so therefore, it creates a price inflation for right. our goods. And it doesn't affect China 
right. so theirs come in cheaper. Yeah, because there's By no having sale, a there's, fair tax. Right, it would basically be able to plop that tax on on American and Chinese goods. Yes, together. Yeah, Therefore, right. putting the that inflation, so to speak, that right. tax bump. Yeah, on all on both Ch- American and Chinese goods. Correct. Exactly. So, yeah, and the, there's also a, a there's a we can go into the weeds on this later, but there's a there's a prebate for people that are United States citizens, so they they base it off of the poverty level and how much of essential goods you buy. So they say they consider essential goods like uh, produce, uh, bread, beer. Yes, <laughs> yeah. sure. uh, beer, and then like uh, toiletries, things like that. So they were they would give you a check at the beginning of every month that would cover the amount of taxes that you would spend on an average amount of those items. So based off how many people are in your house, they say, here's about how much of this stuff you I will see. use. Okay. Here's a prebate. So it doesn't cost you any more money, but the people who are not United States citizens, people who are here on, as illegal immigrants, people who are here on vacation, hmm. uh, et cetera, they would be paying that full tax on all of those items as well. I have a hundred questions on this fair tax. This is super interesting. I never heard of that. Um, it is a phenomenal system, and but I can see why this would specifically be a hit to China because right. one of the ways they continue to grow in their influence is by being able to undercut Correct. American goods for a variety of nefarious reasons. Yes. Um, yeah, so and there's actually cases now where China is investing in very impoverished countries in Africa. And they're exporting uh, equipment and managers to run factories in these African countries for less, for about half per day of what they're pay, they'd be paying a Chinese worker to work in their factory. So they're undercutting that process even more. And then they're shipping those country, those those goods either back to China to sell for less or back to the United States to sell for even less. Wow. Yep. So I think changing that tax structure would be really important. To help us yeah. bring these local goods back to market to a fair market value and to be able to compete. Now we've been talking mainly imports. about supply chain, yeah, and, and things like that, and specifically how they impact um, our perspective and approach to human rights violations within right. China. But there's obviously more going on than just the supply chain. Sure, there are the humans, yes, uh, and, and uh, that are being um, put in concentra- concentration camps. Yep. The, the Uyghur population is what we spent the most time on. Yeah. Uh, we didn't spend as much time on uh, the the one now two child rule in yes. China, which is of course another yep. violation. Terrific. So, what? Uh, let's talk just about human rights mm-hmm. in and of themselves, quite apart sure. from uh, the supply chain. But what 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 are our takeaways from that? Yeah. So human rights it starts with with telling the story, right? Yeah. So we we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, where sharing something on social media is not activism. Right. Like it's like that's not enough. Like you can't you can't I, I don't think that in good conscience you can share a post on Facebook about any topic that's important to you and say, OK, I've done my I've done my due diligence. But that is a part of that calculation. It is a part of what you, we should be doing to tell the story about what's going on, because it is a public awareness. A lot of people still do not understand how horrible these human rights abuses are in China. And until and you talked about having a, an informed electorate, until we have a, 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 a populace that understands here's what's going on, here's what's happening, right. they're not, Congress isn't going to be pressured enough, the Senate is not going to be pressured enough, the president's not going to be pressured enough to take, continue to take more serious action. We also can make a difference with our dollars, right? Like there are a number of, of nonprofits. Uh, China Aid is one of them, which Logan Carmichael was one of our guests on, on that show. Uh, that work with people in China to, to get them out or to uh, try and affect change within the system. 
to, to relax regulations on house churches, on uh, Uyghurs that are in prison. They, they're doing some incredible work, incredible humanitarian work. And we can give to those organizations. We can, we can help support what they're doing. Uh, and we can find friends to help give as well. So that, that's a big part of it. So telling the story, uh, supporting them with our dollars, but then also going back to the supply chain piece, just continuing to be conscious of what we're buying and where is it coming from. Because in today's economy, the chances that it's it's being created by forced labor is incredibly high. Yeah, I think sometimes people have this idea that, well, there's just human rights violations going on everywhere. And how do I, you know, what? Yeah. It's, it's, it, they almost feel like so diluted in their ability to, to sure. react appropriately and, and productively. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit of a misnomer because yeah. this is a severe human rights right. violation. Sure. This is a superpower in the world. Right. This is in the scale of millions of yes. people that are being affected in Correct. the worst of ways. You know, we didn't even talk about organ harvesting, yes. which, which, is a, which is a real thing. Yeah, it is. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, for those that are listening, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch for us to say that every single person should know what the word Uyghur means. Yes, 100%. Everyone should have Uyghur, mm-hmm. Uyghur, Uyghur, Uyghur in yeah. their vocabulary. It should be a thing we talk about. Yep. And it's okay. It's right. Mm-hmm. It's appropriate. Even given the massive stretch of the world, the huge population of the world, all of the different things that are going on, it is it is right to focus on this one thing, especially. Yeah. Right. It's not out of proportion. Yeah. And I, I think the issue is we have a culture that loves the virtue signal, right? Yeah. And so we take these little, these little, what comparably little problems. Yeah. And blow them out of proportion. Right. So the fact that somebody in a third world country is making $5 a day or living off $5 a day, like, that's not an actual crisis because if you look at how far that five dollars goes within their culture and within their context, it's not that terrible, right? Like, sure, they'd be making more, yes, but it, it's not—it's not the same as being thrown into a concentration camp and right. having your organs harvested or being continually raped right. or being forced to have an abortion. Like, it's not—it's not on that same scale. Uh, now, there are a lot of hurting people everywhere, and we and we are called to help where we can, when we can. Right. And, you know, for, for people listening, they may listen to this and say, you know, supporting the Uyghurs is not something that's, you know, stirred. It's not something that stirs my conscience, but there's this problem over here is. And, and that's OK. Right. Like not everybody has to be as stirred as everybody else. Sure. But like you said, you need to know about it. You need to be able to talk about it. You need to be able to advocate when the opportunity arises to do so. And there are certain things that happen. You know, everyone goes back to World War Two because yeah. it was a moment in human history. Mm-hmm. Where something so egregious was happening right. that it 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 automatically deserved a response, right? No matter what it costs, mm-hmm. and and that's what and we still have that in our and that's the, what we tell about our story as, sure. as humans, right? Uh, this was so bad, yeah. that we must do something. We did, right? Took us a little while. Mm-hmm. We did, yes. Um, um, you know, and uh, I think we're seeing things brewing in China, mm-hmm. um, if not already happening. I think they already are happening. Yeah, at a scale which is so egregious mm-hmm. that it, it warrants a response. So I think right. that's my big takeaway. This isn't an aggression. Yeah. Um, to use even just a little bit, little bit of pushback to the example you just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone would say, "Yeah, this doesn't afflict my conscience," this does. I'd be like, "Hey, really glad that you uh, care about this over here." You need to add this. Yeah. You have room for two. Sure. You know? Sure. <laughs> I, I don't disagree um, with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
Now that's a lot more on a local level. Yeah. But we were, we said at the beginning that we we're going to give two levels mm-hmm. of the way forward. So yeah. what's the way forward with regards to human rights violations mm-hmm. in China? What is our national step? What, what yeah. ought Washington to do? So there's a lot of, a lot of conversation on this and a lot of good people disagree. I think right now the, the Olympics just started at the time mm-hmm. of this recording. And so the, there was a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. So they basically just said, if you're a government official, you can't go, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna use that as a as a way to show that we disapprove of the way China is conducting its its things. Um, I think that was a, I think that was very good. I think that was wise. Some people said we should have gone further and boycotted the games altogether. I don't necessarily think that's that that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I think back you know, without uh, falling down this philosophical fallacy. Going back to the 1930s when Jesse Owens went and competed in the Berlin Olympics, I think that was the the absolute best place that he could have been on the on those days. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know that there's an exact parallel to today because there, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any Uyghurs participating in the Winter Olympics. Uh, but that would have been the equivalent, right? I, I think uh, nationally making stands like that is important and i think we should be more aggressive than less aggressive uh i don't think from a human rights perspective i don't think there's a whole lot where we could misstep by being too aggressive i think militarily that's a that's a different conversation but diplomatically with sanctions etc i don't think there's a whole lot that we could mess up by being more aggressive than we currently are um i also think having politicians they're willing to speak out about this at a national level is much, is becoming more and more important, right? So the uh, owner, I believe it was, uh, I, I'm not percent sure it was the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the owners said that uh, when it comes to human rights and th- things he cares about, the Uyghurs are not on his level. That, that's almost a direct quote. And he caught a lot of flack uh, about it. And he came back out later and said, well, I didn't actually mean that. And here's here's what I actually meant by it. But if you watch the interview, it's very clear that that is exactly what he meant, that he did not care at all uh, and that he was not concerned about it. And he really just wanted his team to be able to continue to play and, and sell their games in China uh, because there's, there's a lot of money there. Uh, so I think if if we had had more of a, you know, we, we talked also a little bit in the last episode about the, the power of the executive and having a strong executive. Teddy Roosevelt talks about having the bully pulpit. The president should have should have jumped. I think. I think that a comment like that is at the president's level. I think that's something that he should have come out and condemned uh, very strongly, mm-hmm. and said that this is at your level. This is at everybody's level. This is at my level. This is a problem. Uh, I think that would have gotten a lot of attention, uh, but he didn't do it. Uh, I think those are the opportunities that we that we miss um, at a national level to speak out and to draw attention to it. I think some of the things that are currently going forward, like we talked about with Marco Rubio, is one, he's one of the co-sponsors on that bill. I think that's a, a really strong move uh, to help to help de-incentivize economically, anyway, U.S. companies from being bad actors in these other in these other nations. Because that's one of the things that's frustrating too, right? Like you have a, a company or an organization like the NBA that is speaking out very strongly on social issues here in the United States. But then you have another country that's literally throwing people into concentration camps and they're saying nothing and they're apologizing whenever somebody makes a, a bad tweet about something that they said. Uh, you know, seeing John Cena, this 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 strong man, uh, basically break down and almost and break down in tears when he's apologizing for saying he made a, a disparaging comment, either that Hong Kong or Taiwan was not a part of China 
And he, he apologized in Mandarin, uh, in tears that he misspoke and he wanted their forgiveness. Like that's just, that's insanity. It's absolutely absurd. And so I think when we look at this as, as a national issue, it's not just what is DC politics doing? What are people who have a national voice doing and saying? Um, and the way we influence those people is look, and it starts with us and it starts with how we talk about it and how we approach it and how, and if we approve of them. Not. So we, you know, we just to kind of go back through where we covered so far, we've reviewed intellectual property. Um, we've also talked about the fair tax, which is super interesting and then human rights, but there's also just kind of the old school, you know, land and sea. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and understanding exactly how China is seeking to grow their, power and influence over the world, um, not just through their intellectual property, yeah. not just through their domination of, uh, of uh, minorities and people groups within their country, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but actually in other countries and with the expansion of their territory. So yeah. we've got the South Sea, we've got Taiwan, yeah. we have the, the, the islands that they're creating, which I find really impressive. I'm just, <laughs> I just, that's, it is cool. So kudos to China for being able to like figure that out. <laughs> Bad China for doing it. Uh, I wish I could create my own island, uh, it, but uh, not not for these reasons, of course. Uh, but the, it's just very it's it's very important that we know kind of what they're doing. You mentioned the Belt Road Initiative, yeah, Belt and Road Initiative. Um, what, did I miss any that they're what, like that they're doing yeah. to kind of expand their uh, power? over land and sea. Mm-hmm. No, I think those are, those are the big pieces. Uh, those are the ones to be aware of. Those are the ones to note and, and, and to try and figure out how to counter. I think one of the things that it comes back to is the way the it is a comparison between the Belt and Belt Road Initiative, which is China's version of foreign aid and the way USAID or USAID does there. So USAID was born out of the Marshall Plan. So uh, Marshall Plan was... Uh, Post-World War II, we're going to rebuild Europe. Uh, we're going to get Europe back on its feet. So we're going to supply all of these different types of goods. We're going to give them an influx of grain because their, their farmers weren't able to produce. We were going to give them clothing because they didn't have any resources. We, we were doing all of these things. And we were basically just exporting United States goods until Europe's economy could get its feet back underneath it and they could start producing again. We've then taken that model and applied it to... To countries that have no rule of law, that have a, a fine farming industry, that have a good textiles industry, uh, but need more support on the intellectual property rights, that need more support on the property, like physical property law, uh, that have good business practices. Need, they need development on their business practices, etc. They don't need rice, right? Like a, a great example of this is Haiti. So Haiti has is, is just consistently been in turmoil. Uh, between natural disasters and political uprisings. Uh, and in that episode, uh, we talked about um, the series from Acton, which is, uh, the I believe the, the series is called The Poverty Cure, and the movie is called Poverty Inc. I recommend both of them to you. But in it, they talk about this business uh, who produce solar panels in Haiti. And, and they, were, they were Haitians, they were using goods created in Haiti. They were recycling materials. They were teaching skills. They were high-paying jobs. And they had a contract with the government. I believe it was a contract with the government to put these all over the city for streetlights so that they could have streetlights to create this safer environment. After this last, I don't remember if it was an uh, uh, earthquake or a hurricane, they came through and there was a whole bunch of devastation on the island. Well, 
these United States companies that also produce solar panels got together with USAID and they started sending these United States solar panels to Haiti. And they, I don't remember if they actually put this business out of business or if they just totally crippled them and they're still trying to struggle and survive. But here was an opportunity for the United States to, to help. And what do we do? We, we shut down a really good high paying job in the country. Haitians also talk about uh, rice, right? So Bill Clinton uh, famously sent large amounts of rice to Haiti. And he came out a number of years later and apologized. And he apologized. And I, I give him huge kudos for doing this. He apologized to Haitians because he said, I made policies that were good for my farmers in Arkansas that were horrible for you. And they Haitians didn't eat rice all the time. It was if they, they produced it on their island. They would eat it maybe, you know, maybe one or two meals a week. And that was it. But since USAID has been sending free rice to Haiti, it's on their plate three meals a day, every single day, because it's cheap. And they it's, it's, it's filled this this sector of their economy and has destroyed all of these others. You know, when, when we when we collect T-shirts at church to send to Kenya, right, as a part of this relief effort. Well, Kenya, you used to be able to go to a store in Kenya and buy a shirt that said made with Kenya cotton. And now you can't do that anymore because we have totally destroyed their textiles industry by sending them used T-shirts with Marvel comics on the front of them. Like, it's just the way we do aid is really poor. And China has taken this, has looked at that and said, we want people to actually like us. We want people to want our help. And so they're, they're doing that by building infrastructure. And we'll talk, that's actually what we've talked about having our next season on is what infrastructure is all that kind of stuff but building ports building roads equipping their militaries they're making these large dollar investments in these countries for long-term partnerships right it's that long-term strategy that long-term mindset so defense policy in my opinion when it comes to china is going to be tied to how we if we continue to do aid the way we always have been or how do we change that mindset in that mold to build these long-term partnerships with these other countries that need legitimate help and want legitimate help. Like Africans are not dumb, right? Like Africans just need access to, to better infrastructure. They need access to Wi-Fi. They need access to tools. Like they have the capacity to create and to build and to develop, but they just don't have any of the pieces of the puzzle that they need yet. And that's where a country like China is really stepping up their game and the United States has fallen behind. Well, this has been a great season. I think so. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate you inviting me to, uh, to be a part of it. Bryce, this is uh, this has been a good experience for me. So I hope, like listeners, that this has been good for you. It's been ten episodes, a nice even number. Um, Bryce uh, intimated that an idea for next season's topic will be infrastructure. I think that's still a little bit up in the air, yes. uh, yeah. but uh, that's kind of where we're thinking. And uh, but regardless, uh, we're going to continue the same theme of uh, trying to bring these big issues, uh, which are complex and. Uh, and try to try to boil them down to what the common man uh, needs to know, and uh, and kind of the way forward from there. Informed <laughs> here, so uh, this has been fun for me. Likewise, we really appreciate the time. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, thewayforwardpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you there on our Facebook page. A like and share. We'd really appreciate the support. But thanks for being on the journey, and we look forward to seeing you next season. I'm Bryce Fletch. I'm Tony Melton. And you've been listening to The Way Forward.